welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, hey, welcome back. So let's get a little theological. A little theological. Um, usually when people hear the word theology, they start running. And I get it. Um, people don't like to think real deep about you know certain things. That's one of them. But, to be honest, theology is not a scary thing. Everyone, to be honest, everyone has a theology. Even atheists and agnostics have a theology. Their theology is, there's no God. Uh, or, you can't know him, even if he does exist. Now, here's the thing in our arena. Let's look at what they call the doctrine of soteriology. Ooh, that sounds really fancy, right? Soteriology. Really, it's the it's the doctrine of salvation. Okay, it's and doctrine is a fancy word that people usually end up running from. Also, it just means teaching, thought. Okay. Now, it's basically the doctrine of of salvation, which means how you get saved. Now. That being said, um, there is some pre-thoughts, okay, ideas that you have to kind of lock into before you can jump off into that. And the reason I say that is this. In order to be saved, you have to be saved from something. A Someone who's drowning, who is taken from the water by a lifeguard and is saved fully understands at that point they're dying okay they're drowning and the savior in that situation and kind of thought process is the lifeguard and the method is he swims his little self out there gets the person and gets them to shore okay so, it, it that sounds really simplistic, but in essence, that's really the thing, okay? That's, that's the process. In order to be saved, you have to be saved from something. Well, what are, you know, the person in the water is being saved from death and drowning. Now, to be fair, um... Christianity is not the only group that has a soteriology thought. In other words, a doctrine of salvation. All of these, well, let me just say, Buddhism has one. Uh, Hinduism has one. Islam has one. Jainism has one. Judaism has one. Several mystery religions out there have them. Epicurean philosophy has one. Sikhism has one. I mean, you just keep on going. But basically, the agreement is this, that there's a shortcoming in men, people, 
and there is a process of taking care of that shortcoming. Now, that shortcoming uh, leads to destruction in one way or another. Uh, obviously, in uh, in Buddhism, where you have karma and you and you're you know recycling, uh, you know you're coming back. Well, you come back as a lower kind of situation, right? So to keep from that from happening, they want you to come back as a better somebody, all right? But and that's super over oversimplification over of the thought process and. I get it, but but here's the thing. Again, there's a shortcoming. There's a problem with the example I used of the drowning person. That person fully pretty understands they got an issue. Okay, if you're on fire and you're burning up, you realize I have a problem. And, and that happens pretty fast. I'm, you know, I've been burned, you know, by campfires before, and you get it really fast when you when you get burned. I mean, you're like ah. So if somebody's drowning or they're on fire, they kind of get it. Help. <laughs> so and at that point, um, you get into the situation where you're thinking, okay. I get it. So there has to be a shortcoming. Now, I'm going to commend a book to you that's kind of hard to get your hands on. But it's uh, it's by C.B. Hogue, and it's called The Doctrine of Salvation. And it's probably one of the best books I've seen that kind of drills down the different parts in fact, in chapter one, um, the complication in the Bible we see is, and the word that uh, that Doctor Hogue uses is corruptive wrongdoing. Corruptive wrongdoing is that there is a problem, and the problem, you know, like with the swimmers drowning, the problem we have is sin complication with sin is that sin is like a cancer. The minute it happens to you, the minute you do one, it's permanent and it's fatal. Uh, it's just like drinking curare. I mean, it's it's over. It's done. Uh, there's no cure. But, there is a cure. So, what we're going to do is kind of take this in steps, okay, if we can, and look at look at it in, in its steps. Now, the, uh, I've mentioned before on a prior pod- podcast, the, uh, the study of sin is a different discipline, believe it or not, in theology, uh, called hematerology. And uh, and without getting all kinds of crazy, let's just say that that's kind of the study of the shortcoming. All right. I think from this standpoint, what we need to understand is that uh, sin 
in the Bible is basically doing something God says don't do. Um, these type of things. Now, immediately people are thinking, oh, Cosmic Killjoy. He's killing me. He's killing me. He's just running my fun. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. That's not what God's saying. A lot of times, what God is saying is if you do things outside of the the limits that I've set for you, uh, really horrible things can happen to you. Not the least of which is it's a sin that kills you spiritually. Now, why does God even care about sin? Why? Why does God even care? I mean, why didn't he just let everybody die and start over? You know, that would be pretty easy. He did, you know, he wiped the world out with water once, you know, started over with Noah. Why can't he just do it again? Well, first of all, at least from a biblical standpoint, he is a caring God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a caring God. He wants a relationship with everyone on the planet. Is everyone on the planet going to have a relationship? No. Why? Because he gives, he didn't make robots out of us. He allows us to choose. But, let me throw some verses your direction, okay? Just uh, to kind of tune in on something. The first thing is, is that God allows people to make choices. And bad choices. That's how sin, sin comes up. Well, why didn't he just force us to all be good? Well, again, that's making a robot. He's not wanting robots. He wants people to serve and love and care about him willingly. Like he does them. Now, in Isaiah... 45, verse 22, where Isaiah is addressing a lot of the issues going on with specifically the Jewish nation at this point. But God makes statements that are larger than just the Jews themselves. Okay? A lot of times, especially through prophets, and this is one of them. Where he says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Okay, that's pretty specific. Alright. In Jeremiah, he, he said, He says, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything? too difficult for me. Now, whether you want to, you know, go to this one and say, hey, he's saying all the ends of the earth, that sounds like everybody. Alright? That sounds like God, the God that made a universe, is asking everybody, says, look, turn to me. I'm the one who can save you from, from, from what's happened to you. What has happened to us? Sin has happened to us. Where, what has sin done? Well, it's in the world. And by the world, I mean 
it's in nature, it's in the planet, it's in all this wild stuff, unfortunately. And that's why, uh, well, uh, of course, the implications of that go on pretty huge. But here, but right here, basically God is saying, look, I'm it. I'm it. There's not another one. There's not another God out there. You can think there's another God out there. There, you know, Satan and all of his 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 evil angels are mimicking a lot of gods. But I'm it. I am the God. And by the way, you know, uh, as far as I know, God lets make again. God lets you make your own decisions. So if you want to make bad decisions and just you know do crazy stuff and he'll let you do it why does he do that again because he cares and he's not forcing us he's anyway now the other verse i want to throw in your direction is this one it's acts 4:12 acts 4:12 now this is, of course, Luke documenting. And in this particular situation, someone is, uh, is talking. And basically, uh, let me see. I believe it's Peter, as a matter of fact. And Peter's uh, having a dialogue... And he says this in 4.12. He says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I should throw in, add in Acts 4.11 where it says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. So, Peter's talking to some of the temple authorities. And he said, The builders, which he, which has become the cornerstone. And that's when he says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, here's the kicker. As I mentioned, a lot of people have a lot of ideas about how you can save, you know, get saved. You hear this terminology, this churchy terminology, getting saved, getting saved. And the complication is, is a lot of times it's been used so much that immediately when people hear it, they reject it. That's sad. The reason that's sad is because it's actually a very true statement. In our lives, we get to the point where we're drowning. And sometimes, believe it or not, we don't actually know it. <laughs> or we don't get it. We know things are horrible. We know, you know, a lot of things in our lives, you know, go sideways. Uh, things we try in our own lives and, you know, people's lives around us and we see all this chaos we see bad things happening and all this other stuff. And 
a lot of times, you know, some people get frustrated because they make decisions that they think are great decisions or good decisions, and then they just go sideways and don't work and end up messing something up. And it gets frustrating. The complication with the process is sin's in the way. Sin is in the way. The only way to get out of that situation according to the Bible is Jesus. Why is that? Because again, Peter said there's no other salvation in in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we we must be saved. Now, so you can choose to believe the Bible or not. I mean, for real. Personally, I've found everything that it says to be very true. Now, just to put the capstone on this, Jesus himself said, I am the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus himself said that. So, whether you think he's just a really good teacher, who's a little crazy, or believe he's the Son of God, um, that's a pretty bold statement. And I believe he's spot on. So, for me, I've had a very long relationship with him. And i got to tell you, he's brought me through a lot of things. A lot of pretty horrible things. Deaths of very close people that I know. Cancer that I had myself. Other physical challenges. When I was growing up, and all kinds of fun junk that the world gave me. And I couldn't have made it without him. Absolutely have no problem telling you that without Jesus walking me through that, and not the hipster Jesus, not the cool Jesus, (laughs) not the Jesus on the surfboard, But I mean the real Jesus of the Second Temple period who was here and died and rose and then went to heaven. Now you're saying, well, how in the world did did he help you out if he's in heaven? Well, the beauty of it is his spirit, which we call, of course, the Holy Spirit, lives in us and he. His presence is kind of in us with the Spirit. And it's awesome. Now, um, so, this particular part of the the cast is really supposed to be kind of focused on the first part. And that is the problem. So on this particular issue, I want you to be thinking about the problem. And the problem is 
that. I used the example of people drowning. And interestingly enough, William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, had a uh, a dream, I believe, where pe- just, just people, hundreds of people were drowning in, in the ocean. And uh, he wanted to save them, but couldn't. And that's kind of what prompted him to start the Salvation Army. But a lot of times when we're drowning in stuff, it's sometimes it's just flat problems. And it doesn't take a genius to turn on the news for like 10 minutes, if you can stand it that long, maybe even five, and see the stuff. And here's the beauty of it. The beauty is, is, uh, is that the Word says, the Bible says, that if you believe in Jesus, you'll be changed. If you turn your life over to Jesus. Now, you probably heard that a million times from all kinds of people. And it's true. And it doesn't have to be any wild experience. Doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to be a rooftop jumping off or any of this jazz. They're all levels and, and to be honest it happens differently for different people. Some people say it just grabs them and just shakes them. Other people say it was just a calm feeling. But, um, the bottom line is if you confess the name of Jesus and believe God raised him from the dead and believe you have a problem, again, you got to say, hey, I got sin in me. I got I got sin in me, and it's keeping me from God. And that's kind of what we'll talk about the next time. But uh, if you know this message, please share it. Share it with everyone you can. Now is the time. Now is the time for redemption. That's uh, I believe that's in the Word as well. But anyway. Um, we're going to look at different parts of some uh, of some doctrines, and uh, I'm going to try to kind of uh, make it a little more consumable. I hope uh, we'll take the fancy word and then break it down a bit. You know, the so that you don't have to listen to hermatology and soteriology and eschatology and all that fun stuff. We'll just look at those a bit at a time. Right now, I want to encourage you to keep on keeping on, okay? Thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word boldness and truth, and may God bless all of your